Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We continue with the 105th Anucheta of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha, the fifth subject. Param, the object of meditation, is Bhagavan, who has form. Read through some of this, and we will continue where we left off. The last little section that we read was pointing out that when we speak of Brahman, then we're talking about qualified Brahman, uh, Brahman with qualities. Jeevas arrived at this conclusion, and now he's discussing in this Anucheta and bringing up the nature of his qualities, that he's omnipotent, infallible, resolve, omniscient, endowed with, with supreme lordship, and we left off with that he's also endowed with unlimited auspicious qualities. They're devoid of anything that's reprehensible or of an antagonistic nature. We'll continue where we left off. Jiva says, has written as follows, But for those who claim that it is quali- qualityless reality that is to be inquired into. Here again, we're back to the first thing in the in the first verse of the Bhagavatam, Matato Brahma Jignasa. So, Satcham Param Dimahi, these two two phrases, one referring to Satcham Param, Supreme, the Supreme Absolute, in his intrinsic qualities. Everything springs forth from him, including everything that we have we have knowledge of. So this is these are the, the opening statements also of the Vedanta Sutra that you should inquire into Brahman and everything springs forth from Brahman. And then as we'll go on we'll see then the Vedanta Sutra next says and you cannot know Brahman except through Shastra. There's no other way. But in this particular section of this hundred and fifth Anucheta, subsection, we could say. What Jiva, again, is coming around to is understanding the terminology Brahman in relationship to the way it's explained in Shastra. And you cannot walk away from the scriptural statements with an understanding of Brahman that's based on the Advaitin conception there's no way to get there. There's no way that you can arrive at that. He's still pounding that post. But, he says, he's just explained that the, the Brahman has qualities and no bad qualities. And, and Brahman is that quality, that qualified supreme absolute from which the material manifestation evolves. And you can't get something from nothing that's unrelated to the nothingness that the Advaitins attribute to Brahman. Not that they say Brahman is nothing, but it's nothing that you can qualify and its nature in and of itself, according to their conception, is without qualities just is. 
It's the opposite of the Buddhist philosophy of it's nothing. They say it's something, but you can never know what that something is because it has no qualities that you're familiar with. And as long as you think it has qualities, you're under the influence of ignorance, even though you're a manifestation of Brahman, and we get on and on. I mean, we've gone over these points relentlessly, and we'll continue to do so as long as Jiva wants us to go there. So, here we go again. But for those who claim that it is the qualityless reality that is to be inquired into, do any of you want to inquire into something that really is, has nothing to inquire about except it's, it's there and it's consciousness and it's all pervading? That's it. What, there's nothing else to say because they don't attribute anything else to Brahman. But if you wanted to go there, if you say that's what Atato Brahma Jignasa is talking about, inquiring into that qualityless reality, Jiva says, the second sutra, that from which arise the creation and so on, would necessarily become inconsistent. So here we have, I mean, Jiva's point is quite simple. Here you have the Vedanta Sutra. The Vedanta Sutra has pulled the essence from all the Vedic knowledge in the Upanishadic portions of the Vedas. So you've pulled all this knowledge together in the Vedanta Sutra and you have the opening two sutras. Now that you now that you have enough intelligence, inquire into the nature of Brahman. And everything that you have awareness of springs from that Brahman. Okay, so that's the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra. How can you reconcile? Jiva's asking quite simply, how can you re- re- reconcile a qualityless Supreme Absolute Brahman. It's just great. I mean, that's what Brahman means. Just, it's great. It's, it's tremendous. It's marvelous. It's, but it doesn't have any qualities. And then the next statement in the Vedanta Sutra is, everything springs forth from it. Wow. That from which arises the creation and so on would necessarily become inconsistent. So there you go. The whole Vedanta Sutra has now become inconsistent. With such inconsistencies, how can we rely on it as a viable source of knowledge? Because the first two statements are opposed to each other. If you want to accept Brahman as qualityless, then your approach to the Vedanta Sutra is, it is, and everything springs from it. So therefore, the first two statements of Vedanta Sutra are in direct opposition to each other. So who's going to accept that kind of a scripture? And the very next verse of the Vedanta Sutra is, if you want to know anything, you have to rely on scripture. It becomes bewildering. How the Advaitins have, have last, how they've lasted this long is beyond concept, our conception looking at it from a Gaudiya viewpoint. Well, no, they think real deeply. You can't, you can't say that. They think. Yes, they do. With the first sutra of inquiring into Brahman, 
this is so, first of all, from the etymology of the word Brahman, expressed as that which is unparalleled in magnificence and which makes others magnificent. It is also evident from the fact that there are scriptural statements about Brahman, such as, he is the original cause of the creation, and so on, of the cosmos. And Jiva, as we go forward in another couple of classes, is going to quote, start quoting from the Upanishads, just, come on, how can you refute this stuff? This is the basis of your understanding of existence. If this is the basis, if scripture is the basis, and you see all these scriptural statements, how in the world can you accept this Advaitin perspective? It does not compute. So he goes on. Similarly, because in the latter sutras, as well as in the sutras cited as examples, in their support, they, there are direct statements that describe his glance. Therefore, neither the sutras nor the shritis cited as examples therein can serve as evidence for the qualityless Brahman. There's nothing there to support this idea. As the cause of creation, etc. Inference also. Now he's going on. Okay, so there's no direct Brahman. No direct spiritual, scriptural basis for your acceptance of a qualityless Brahman. We can refute it with the very scriptures which you cite yourself, which say, and then he's given some evidence there. All right, I understand. So you're having a little trouble following the letter of the law. Maybe you should just hire a good attorney. He can mold the law. So let's look at what would be used by a good attorney. He can infer all kinds of things and make it up as he goes along. So Jiva now takes that approach. Okay, we can't, we can't support it with scripture. Now, let's go with a good attorney. Bring in the logician to argue the case. What's he say? Inference also is not a proof of the quality, qualityless reality. I can't even say it. <laughs> Because it depends on the invariable concomitance, vyapti, between the characteristics of the inferential reason of argument, or argument, heitu, the probans, and those of the predicate inferred, sadya, the probantam. What's all that mean? This is in the commentary of Satchin Das. Babaji. If, however, one posits the qualityless Brahman, he posits that qualityless Brahman can be proven by inference, then Jiva Goswami shows that this is not possible. Inference is based upon vyapti, or the invariable concomitance between the sajja, probandum, or the thing to be proven, and the heitu, probands, or the cause that is perceived by us and used as the means to prove the sajja. So you're trying to prove something. 
trying to prove it. So you, you have to use logic. You can't just say it is because, well, the opponent's just going to say, what do you mean it is? We, don't, we can't start out with that. You have to prove your premise. So to prove a premise, you have to create a concomitance, a vyapti, or the invariable concomitance between the two objects. You have to prove by providing information relative to what you're trying to put forth as a, as a truth. Makes sense, right? They have to be in the same area. <laughs> That's the point that he's trying to make here. If, however, one posits that qualityless Brahman can be proven by inference, then Sri Jiva shows that this is not possible. Inference is based on vyapti or the invariable concomitance between the sadhya, what you're trying to prove, or the thing to be proven, and the hetu, or the cause that is perceived by us and used as the means to prove the sadhya. We see a mountain, and we see smoke coming up from the mountain. Therefore, we infer, this is an inference, that the mountain's on fire. Now, if we saw a bird in our same field of vision flying across the sky, could we say the mountain's on fire? Forget that you see the smoke. Instead of the smoke, you see a bird and you say, I see a bird flying. The mountain's on fire. There has to be a concomitance. There has to be some relation that allows me to infer that the mountain's on fire and it has to be related. There has to be a concomitance. There has to be something related to it. I see smoke. I've had experience of fire. You've had experience of fire. When you have a fire, you have smoke. So therefore, I see smoke and there's a mountain with smoke coming from it. There must be a fire on the mountain. I can't say... There's a bird flying in the sky. All the mountain over there is on fire. It doesn't, doesn't compute. Okay, so that's what's being said in these fancy intellectual words that I can't even pronounce. But that's the idea. Because the sadhya is qualityless Brahman, that which is to be proven, it cannot have any relation with anything else. With anything. Everything else that you have experience of has some quality. So Brahman has no qualities according to Advaitins. So how can you use anything to explain it? Hence, inference is not possible due to the absence of vyapti. Vyapti being invariable concomitants. There has to be some relationship there. Your logical approach, first of all, you're throwing scripture out. Scripture's against you. Now, I've just showed you that your conception of the supreme absolute, the unqualified, qualityless Brahman, how can you even talk about it? There's no possibility there. Okay, then he goes on. I'll take it one step further, is what Jeeva is saying here. Even if, for the sake of argument... It is conjectured, you're going to put forth this, 
for the sake of argument, that the meaning of the Brahma Sutra 112, this all has sprung forth, created, is, and then he gives the translation, Brahman is that from which arises the illusion of the creation, etc., of the cosmos. If you're going to say that, Jiva says, that still does not prove Brahman to be attributeless. So even if you're going to say the world's false and it's just an illusion, does that prove that Brahman is qualityless? Since that would mean accepting that ignorance is the root of illusion and that the witness of this ignorance is Brahman. Now he's going to unpack this a little. Because you're giving... Brahman has the ability to perceive ignorance. How, what quality does it have that gives it that ability? Witnessing, Jiva continues, he explains that, witnessing is said to be the result of pure luminosity. You illuminate something with your cognition. Really, you have to... It doesn't just come itself. You, you have, there's something coming from, from the observing viewpoint. So Jiva is saying that what's coming from the observer's viewpoint is luminosity. Luminosity, however, is a characteristic that distinguishes or, the, or is the possessor thereof from the inert and is made possible by endowment with the self-nature that makes itself and others fit to be acted upon, realized by the mind. Such being the case, where there is luminosity, there is the possession of attributes. Otherwise, in the absence of attributes, there would be no luminosity at all, and Brahman would become something quite trivial. If you're going to say the world's an illusion, all right, from Brahman is the created illusion which he's observing. It's Brahman, or a portion thereof, covered by ignorance, but really ignorance can't cover Brahman. But still, if you want to say that that's what it means in the in the Vedanta Sutra that what's being created is an illusion and Brahman has some awareness. That awareness in and of itself constitutes a quality. A so, now we're, so now we're back to the same dilemma. In order just to observe the material universe, there has to be qualified Brahman. Moreover, Jiva continues, if Brahman were devoid of attributes and the world a mere illusion, then the Advaitavadi's intention of postulating an attributeless absolute would be fulfilled merely by the phrase, the world has the mere appearance of being real, like the inter-exchange superimposition of fire, water, and earth. Tejo, Varim, Ridam, Yatha, Vinimaya. 
Now that's another ver that's another section of the first verse of the Bhagavatam. That phrase in and of itself is sufficient, Jiva says. So why would why would Srila Vyasa put and then continue to explain the nature of that world as it can it can give an illusory appearance to those that lack full knowledge. Tejo Vari Midam Yatha Vinimaya and the statement from who arises creation of the cosmos, Janmajasha Yataha, would be re- become redundant. There's no need for that. It doesn't spring forth because it's just an illusion. It springs forth from what? Well, there we could go back to the earlier arguments regarding, you know, nothing, something doesn't come from nothing. And But we've already gone through those arguments. He's just making the point here. We're reviewing the first verse of the of the Bhagavad Purana and let's see what what's really there. And while we're at it, I want to go back to that Adwaitan idea and just make sure that we're not we're not confused by it. And you don't bring your conceptions of the Adwaitan viewpoint into the sanctity of the first verse of the Bhagavad. Purana, nor into the sanctity of the first verses of the Vedanta Sutra, because it does not belong there. Therefore, having recognized that Brahman possesses attributes, it is then concluded that such attributes are nothing other than its potency, Shakti. Brahman has Shakti. This potency, too, is threefold. Intrinsic, extrinsic, and intermediary. As has been shown, out of these, the extrinsic extrinsic potency, Bahiranga Shakti, alone is the direct cause behind the modifications in the form of creation, etc., of the cosmos, and by this description of potency called Maya, and this potency called Maya has been introduced in the very beginning of verse 111 with the words Janmajasya. The intermediary potency, Tatasta Shakti, is indicated by the verb Dimahi. Otherwise, does Brahman need to meditate on Brahman? Even if he has, now we're back, he does have attributes, but is he not completely aware of himself? No. So the word Dimahi signifies meditation. Well, there has to be a meditator. And that meditator, who doesn't know fully Brahman, who doesn't understand, yes, he's he's in an intermediary position. Meditation is the means to the end of arriving at a full understanding. Let us meditate. Although the cosmos is evolved only from the Purusha, who is an integrated self-portion of Bhagavan, and who is endowed with the potency called Prakriti that forms the constituent cause of the cosmos, still the causality of the cosmos ultimately lies in Bhagavan alone. That which has its origin in one part of an ocean is still produced in the ocean itself, as Sri Krishna says. Then he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 11th canto. Prakriti is the constituent cause, Upadan, of this reality, the cosmos. The Supreme Person, 
Parapurusha is the substratum, Adara, and time, its manifestor. But I am Brahman, which comprehends these three. So Krishna is even referring to himself as Brahman. Jiva continues, By the phrase, from whom the creation evolved, it is also being pointed out that Bhagavan does, does indeed have a form. This is the cause case because, by inference, it is understood that he is the fountainhood of unlimited transcendental potencies that are the source of the power to manifest form, Murti Shakti. A power that is implicit in the universe that is itself endowed with form. This is because he has been accepted as the supreme cause of everything. Sarvakarma Karma. Well, this Brahman has form. And here we can use inference. It's okay. Because there's a relationship. The universe, the creation, has full of forms. So therefore, the source is a form. It's not a bird flying in the sky. I mean, there's a relationship there. If we accept when we hear the word Brahman that we're talking about a quality qualified Brahman with Shaktis, one of those Shaktis being Murti, he has his own form, and the universe springs forth from him, then that works. We can infer that. We can infer that from something that we have acquaintance with, just like we have acquaintance with fire and we can infer the mountains on fire. We, we have acquaintance with forms. The world's full of forms. We even have a form. Our children has a form. Our pets, everything has a form. Our chairs, our tables, the food that we... I mean, there's a lot of forms going around. <laughs> Springs forth from form. So, Brahman has form. It's an okay affirmance. It's all right. Jiva's used it. It makes sense. It is not that because he has a form that he must therefore have been born from someone else. Jeeva's going to make a little, let's, let's just set the record straight here. Let me write this right now. Just because he has a form doesn't mean that his form sprung forth, a tato brahma from somewhere else. No. Such a postulate would lead to the def- of infinite regress. Where do we begin? We just keep going back. That form came from this form, came from that form, came. Uh, uh, you're not going to hear, you're not going to get there. It's infinite. No, it's not like that, Jiva's saying. Since it has been accepted that only one entity can be the original cause, just as the unmanifest primordial nature of Yakta is so accepted in the Sankhya philosophy. Moreover, the Shrutis deny that there is any other cause above him, as in the verse, he is the supreme cause and the overlord of the predominating deities of the senses. He has no other creator or lord above him. Svetasvatara Upanishad 
Furthermore, it is commonly accepted that he has a beginningless, transphenomenal, intrinsic form. Since it is thus established that the absolute is intrinsically endowed with form, I've just established it, I've just confirmed it by Shastra, I've just confirmed it by logic. So since I've confirmed this, it's been established, it should be understood that such an absolute with form as Sri Bhagavan alone and no other, since it is he who is directly endowed with forms such as Vishnu and Narayan. This is confirmed in the Dana Dharma section of the Mahabharata. And then he quotes that. From him, all embodied beings appear at the advent of the first yuga, and they dissolve in him alone at the end of the yuga. As we approach this, it's apparent. It just becomes so apparent the significance of of Shastric statements and the and the evidentiary weight they're given. I mean, of course, we've stated, you know, Jiva stated from the very beginning of the Tattva Sandarbha that you can't rely on the senses and you can't rely on, you know, ultimately, ultimately, the topmost praman is scripture. Because what there's no way to know your father unless your mother tells you. There is no possibility. It's not it, so. If you want to understand transcendence, if you want to understand whatever nomenclature you want to give to the supreme, varanti tat tat bhavidas tat bhavyas jnanamadvayam, brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti subjite, whatever you want to call it, brahman paramatma bhagavan however you want to look at that which is beyond your sensual experience and which can be attributed as the the be-all and end-all of spiritual manifestation from which springs material manifestation, there's only one way to know it, and that's Scripture. So everything goes back to Scripture, we use that as the ultimate praman. It's not that we throw out sense perception, that we throw out inference based on sense perception. We do. We use that, but it's a tool to understand what's there in the scripture. It's a tool, and that's, that's basically what the acharya does. That's what the guru does. Time, according to your time, your place, your circumstance, he explains Shastric statements so that you can understand them. He's that, he's that transparent via media between your cultural, your cultural materialistic existence and the scripture. He's the one that, that, he's the one that fuses your understanding to to what's in Scripture. And he does that because he's acquainted with both sides. 
So although he's already taken the boat to the other side, he's left it over here for us. And he's now ready to, to give us, he's ready to jump on the boat, be the captain, and pick up the oars and get yourself out of the material world. He's that connection. He's that transparent by media which allows us to to even have any conception of spirituality. Without his intervention, how could we possibly approach Scripture and understand it fully? We're in a particular age, a particular body, a particular circumstance. He's also coming in that circumstance, but from the other side, with the full understanding of the, the nature of transcendence. So we can say, well, think of, you can think of it this way, and you can think of it that way, but don't think of it that way. That's not going to work for you. That's a misconception. So he's able to sweep aside the misconceptions and give us a, an understanding of Scripture which is comprehensible to our faculties. Kali Yuga, we don't have a real a great abundance of such faculties. But doesn't mean we don't have any faculty. So back, again, you see this, and Jeevi keeps quoting Scripture. It's like, okay, so... You're just quoting scripture. Yes, I'm quoting scripture to make my point because that's really when everything else comes, we ultimately, it ultimately ends in scripture can give us the full understanding. There are such statements in the Sahasra Nama that establish his form. There itself it is said, and then he quotes from that, the Lord's body is beyond description. He is the reservoir of beauty. Similarly, in Skanda Purana, Bhagavan Hari, the supreme regulator, is alone the creator, sustainer, and destroyer. Whatever creatorship is present in others is to be like the movements of a puppet. In others, these functions are effective only in part, but not in full. The complete functions of creation and so on are enacted only by Vishnu. Somebody's pulling our strings. We don't have the complete facility to do much of anything. It's just not there. So it's the same things being said here. It's, it's Krishna, Bhagavan, the supreme regulator. He's the, he's the master puppeteer. And as a puppet, there's not much you can do except grow a long nose because you don't know, you know right from wrong. Also, in the Maha Upanishad, he creates through Brahma and annihilates through Rudra. Therefore, we find the following description, Uddhava to Sri Krishna. Brahma and Shiva are merely instruments in the acts of creation and dissolution of the universe, of formless time controlled by you. So he's kind of unpacking a little bit this idea that the Tato Brahma Jignasa, Everything is coming about by, by the supreme, the supreme reality, such Dimahi. Everything springing forth from him. Don't be misled. I mean, I know you can read in scripture that it's Brahma sitting on the lotus and 
he he manifests the whole creation, but really who's pulling his strings? And I know you hear in scripture that Shiva does so much in the material manifestation, and at the end, Shiva wraps it up. I mean, really, whoever pulls the final curtain has to be in charge of the production. No, he's also, I'm pulling his strings too. So there is a supreme regulator. It's not Brahman, it's not Shiva. So don't, again, not only do I not want you to be misled by the Advaitin philosophy, I don't want you be, to be misled by other scriptural statements wherein you may conceive of some other being, as great as they may be, as independent of me. Everything springs forth from the spark of my splendor. And I, I like Brahma and I like Shiva and I empower them to do a lot on my behalf. But I'm doing, the power's coming from me. Your time potency, he continues, I mean, he, Jeeva's, he's really on a roll here in this, at the end of this Paramatma Sandarbha, he's really like, this 105th Anacheta just goes on and on. It's, he really wants to get this, because it's so important. And you'll see, really, you'll notice, if you were to study all the, the commentaries on the Vedanta Sutra, those first four sutras of the Vedanta Sutra are the most commented upon by all the various acharyas in all the various sampradayas. In other words, those first four encapsulate, four simple sutras encapsulate the, the majority of the knowledge that's contained in the Vedanta Sutra. Jiva's pointing out those four sutras are in the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So you have in this first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam the encapsulated essence of all Vedic knowledge. I'm going to explain it here. I'm first of all going to show you that whatever your scriptural inclination may be, whether you want to put more evidentiary weight on the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra or as a Gaudiya you might want to come over to my side because the Bhagavatam is like rich and it's full of nectar They're the it's the same knowledge Bhagavatam brings out a little bit more sweetness so that it, you don't have the 10th canto in the Vedanta Sutra think about that if you don't it's alright this is the foundational knowledge upon which spiritual understanding is based. You've come to the human form of life, now inquire into Brahman. And everything springs forth from Brahman. Qualified Brahman. And all knowledge, the ultimate be-all and end-all of Transcendental knowledge is contained in Scripture. Are there any questions? Yes. Um, in terms of Brahma and Shiva, Shiva's, um, is, is Shiva similar to Brahma or is Shiva more like an expansion of Krishna's um, 
different expansion of Krishna. Shiva's more like a different expansion of Krishna, oh. yes. And Bhama is more like... Shiva falls in a special... He's, he's in a class of his own. <laughs> There's nothing nothing like Shiva. He's got his own little... He's, he's in a category and there's no one else there with him. Okay. He is God. Touching material nature would be a... So when we, we talk about Krishna never touching the modes, if Krishna were to touch the modes, he would be Shiva, just as if milk was to touch a culture, it would be yogurt. Uh, okay. yeah, yeah. But the milk is milk. And the essence of Shiva is transcendence. But you, you, when you said Krishna powers, it's different when you Shiva's his power coming into Shiva is different than his power. He's a manifestation of Krishna, wherein Krishna is in contact with the material energy. But Krishna never comes into contact, so that may not be the way to say it, but that's the way they say it. It's a, it's like yogurt. Milk touched by the culture. Okay. Yes. So no, Brahma is generally uh, falls in the category of uh, Jiva Shakti. He's an empowered Jiva, okay. a perfect Jiva. Mm. Uh, scripture sometimes uh, gives us information. It does give us information that Brahma is coming uh, coming to that exalted position after a hundred perfect lifetimes. That means he's not broken any dharmic rules. For a hundred lifetimes in a row, uh, so he's extremely qualified. Sometimes there's not a jiva within the Hiranyagarbha manifestation of all the jivas together that comes up to that standard. Krishna has to stand in for Brahma himself. That also happens. Not often, but it does happen. Sometimes Brahma is not a devotee, too, but that's for another discussion. Depends on how you're using the terminology Brahman. You can, add, of course, Brahman is sometimes referred to as the effulgence of the supreme. Uh, in Scripture, we find that uh, Brahman is often there, and Brahman is being referred to as a qualified Brahman. It's just like another name for Krishna. Brahman being as great as it is. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to look at that nomenclature. Some even look at Brahman as the material manifestation. So it depends on context, how it's being used, in what context. But we find many, what Jiva's bringing out here is you'll find many statements in the Upanishads where a qualified Brahman is being put forth. So you cannot accept the Advaitin doctrine of Brahman when you have statements like that coming from the Shastra that speak of the qualities and the potencies 
of Brahman. Now, of course, we'd say Brahman's Bhagavan in that instance, the supreme absolute with qualities. The better nomenclature would not be Brahman, but it would be Bhagavan. But still, in scripture, we find these statements. So he's giving some clarification on those statements. All right. Thank you much for your association. Adi